listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. What's good, church fam? Hope all of you are doing well today on this Sunday. Um, Welcome. We're so glad for y'all to join us. If this is your first time joining us, or if you don't know me, uh, I'm Jordan. I'm the intern here at the Church of the Well, and we're going through the book of James, and it's actually our last week in it. So we'll be in chapter five. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I've been really enjoying it so far. Um, so, uh, and Adam and Ian have been doing a great job with this series, so hopefully I can land it well. Uh, and if I do a terrible job, just know that the Varsity team will be back next week. Um, right now, they just wanted to give, you know, the star athletes uh, a break, so they decided to bring in the JV team. Um, <laughs> that's, that's so mean um, to myself. Uh, all right, let's just get started. <laughs> um, so one thing that we can actually learn, and I hope you all have been learning uh, from the Bible in this lesson, um, is that it gives hope that the Bible that the Bible gives hope to the oppressed and downtrodden, but convicts the proud, and at times like this chapter, warns the unrepented. You see, the Bible and the book of James really focuses on having like a almost a living faith, is what we've been calling it through this series. Um, and part of a living faith is living in a uh, repented lifestyle. Um, we see in verses one through six, how James is calling these people to live a repented lifestyle and the consequences that may happen, uh, and will happen if they don't repent. Um, just a quick side note, uh, repent, if you've never heard that word means to literally just turn away literally means to do a 180 degree turn. So say you're living a certain way and you're doing certain things. Repent means you would literally stop doing them and you start going the opposite way. Now hear the word of the Lord. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Um, he does not resist you. Yikes. <laughs> um, those are pretty intimidating verses, if we're just being completely honest. However, uh, one thing that I want to do is I want... Um, it's, it's very easy to put our biases, whatever they may be, we have and put them into scripture. Basically, it's kind of like saying, like, I have this bias. I believe this is true. So I read something and I 
basically twist the Bible and I tell it what it should tell me instead of just reading the Bible and have it tell me what it's trying to say. So I want to say that I, I want to get rid of maybe a bias that and I, some may have um, and that I have had before. Um, we go along. Is uh, I want to say that this is not a warning for every rich person. It's a warning for those, like verse 4 calls out, those that abuse the blessing of wealth God has given them to abuse others. You see, during this time, it would be common to go to workers and hire them in the town square. And at the end of the day, they would pay them for their work. But what's happening is these rich people aren't paying their workers at the end of the day. And they're withholding, literally withholding their wages. These workers deserve payment for their work, but these rich people aren't doing it. And this anger's chains. You must have warned them of what may happen if they don't repent and change. And that's what's going on in those verses. It's a call of repentance and a warning of what may happen if you don't. Also, you may hear Christians misquote the Bible by saying money is the root of all evil, which it isn't the root of all evil, and we know that it isn't because it isn't in there. The verse that a lot of people misquote is 1 Timothy 6.10. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is just a piece of paper that we as a nation have decided to be the measurement for goods and services. There's nothing evil about paper. I always really liked the analogy of how money is a brick. It can either break a window or it can build a hospital. And to show you that there are good biblical ways to um, use your money, I want to give an example of this guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Um, he was a wealthy Christian, and if it wasn't for this rich man, Jesus wouldn't have had a grave to rise out of. Jesus was broke. He lived a very poor lifestyle. When he died on the cross, he didn't have any money to purchase um, a grave. But this guy named Joseph loved Jesus, so he paid for it. He's like, I'll give him a grave. I'll give him something where the... He can be buried. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And he rose from the grave that that rich man paid for. So God doesn't hate the rich people. doesn't hate rich people. And he doesn't hate money. So as people representing him, people that call yourself a Christian, you represent Jesus. You represent God. That's what our, the title Christian actually means. It was a derogatory term in uh, a city in the um, around Israel. I think it's called. I think it was Antioch. Um, I can't fully remember right now. But it was a derogatory term that the people had, and they literally said, "Like, look at those people. They're just a bunch of little Christs. Look at them trying to be little Christ." And the translation for that is Christian. We got our ti the title of our religion and who we are. Because it was an insult. And we liked it. And we were like, yeah, we are trying to be little Christ. 
just people representing him. I don't believe that we can go out and say that God hates the rich and God hates money because he doesn't. So the first section is written to the oppressors. The rich people, they're withholding wages, um, and it gives a warning to them to change what may, hap what may happen to them if they don't. Um, the next section is actually written to the oppressed. We see this really by the theme of it. Patience and suffering. Verses 7 through 10 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the uh, precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We see in this that God has called the ones who are suffering to be patient, to know that one day the Lord is coming to judge all and to free the oppressed, and to heal those that are in suffering. And James calls them not to grumble. So really, it just means to not complain against one another. Because James says, God is going to judge you. He's going to judge those people, the rich, that are causing the suffering. He's also going to judge you. So don't grumble. He also brings up the old prophets. So people in the Old Testament. How they stood during suffering. How they were able to keep the faith. And how they can look at these people and know that we are not alone in being a part of a broken world where there is suffering. But also knowing that God will bring justice to those that are causing suffering. I believe that is something we can do still today. We can read the Bible, and we can really connect with certain people in certain stages of our lives. And be like, yup, I get that. Yup, been there. Yup, we're not the only ones that are suffering. And I think that is something that James is calling these people, and I think it's something that we can do as well. We can just look at the Bible and be like, yeah, we're not the only ones suffering. And then we can also see moments where God brings justice on those people that are causing suffering. So one thing that I'm learning during this cultural moment um, is that following Jesus is really all about humility. The blame game is strong. In this cultural moment. You hear it everywhere. It's the government's fault. It's Trump's fault. It's Biden's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my brother's, my sister's, it's my spouse's fault. It's my friend's fault. Whoever's fault. But God doesn't ask or judge us on what other people have done to us. But what we have done to others. Are we humble enough to say that we are wrong when we are? 
Are we humble enough to say that we don't know it all? Are we humble enough in God? Y'all, God has been railing me on this to not think about what I'm going to say next. Or when I hear something convicting, not to immediately think of someone that needs to hear this, but to think, where does this assess in my life? Where do I need to change? Am I one of those people that needs to stop grumbling? Am I one of those rich people? I'm not loaded. <laughs> but there are people that are better. I'm much better off than some people. I'm like, well, am I the one that's rich? And that's just been withholding my withholding all the money that I get and not sharing it with others? Are we humble enough to look at God and say, God, I messed up. I've been messing up relationships. I've been arrogant. I don't represent you well to a people that doesn't know you. So please help me. God, when we say that to God, I have a feeling that his response is like, I can work with that. So I have one question for everyone that may be watching or listening. What is God wanting you to give up or get to deepen your relationship with him? What I mean by that is for the rich people in this chapter, it was to give up their greed and their comfort. The ones suffering, which means suffering does not excuse any action, it doesn't excuse sinning. For the ones suffering, it's to give up gossiping. An old pastor of mine once said, there's never an excuse to sin. Never. I believe that. I believe the Bible supports that. I believe Jesus' life literally supports that. So there are two types of sin. Let's clarify what, that, what I mean by when I say sin. There's no excuse to do it. Some of y'all may be like, okay, well, what am I not supposed to do? <laughs> um, there are two types. There's sins of commission and sins of omission. Commission is an action that is a direct offense to God and to others. This could be gossiping. This could be lying. This could be stealing. This could be looking at things you shouldn't online. It's going to be getting drunk. Now, I'm not saying that drinking alcohol or having a beer with your pizza is a sin. Like right now, I would really love a Madonna Zero Gravity with an Ida pizza. That sounds awesome right now. <laughs> but getting drunk is a sin. Not being sober-minded is a sin. Really, if you want to see what a commission, what a commission sin is, look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 
Paul does a great job of just laying out what it means to to live a pure and holy lifestyle. What not to do, what offends God, what hurts God's feelings. I'm going to be honest, y'all. It's probably the most offensive verse out. Um, Verse offensive verse in our day and age. It's extremely offensive. But it is true. And it shows the heart of our God. It shows what hurts his feelings. And I think if we truly say we love God, just like your spouse, you wouldn't say to your spouse, like, hey, don't tell me what hurts your feelings, because I don't want to know it. I think if we love God, we kind of want to know that. And I don't want that to be a shaming um, message. Um, I just think that if you truly love someone, you want to know what ticks them off, what hurts their feelings. And I think that's a very, very good starting point. So that's commission sin. What is omission sin? Omission sin is when you know to do something right, but you don't do it anyways. So we we get this um, from the chapter before this one, in James chapter 4, verse 17. It says, you know what to do is right, but don't do it. And that is a sin. An example of omission sin is me preaching today, actually. I feel that God has called me to give you a message. By not giving it, I would be sinning. God has called me to do something right, and I don't do it, then I'd be sinning. Some other examples, or another example, I should say, maybe when you're talking to a friend or family member, and you feel like the Spirit's kind of calling you to tell them about who Jesus really is. To break down those misconceptions that we know people have. By not sharing it, if you feel like the Spirit is telling you to, you're sinning. And I and I say if you feel the Spirit telling you to because sometimes he tells you not to. Not because he doesn't want them to know. But God does say, do not throw your pearls before swine. Which means some people just don't want to hear. Why you believe something? People don't want to hear about Jesus. And it's not that he doesn't want them to. He just knows that if you, if you give them that, they're just going to step all over you. You're just going to get hurt pointlessly. So those are the two different types of sin. And sometimes they look different for different people. Um, Some people do really well um, with not doing commission sin. But for some, it is a daily, it is an hourly, it is a minute-by-minute struggle not to commit a commission sin. For omission, maybe completely different. 
for some people, it's really easy to not commit omission sin. But for some, it's extremely difficult. For some, it's really hard for them, to, for whatever reason, for some, it's really hard for them not to serve, not to help the poor. And for some people, it's really difficult. And people have different reasons for that. And I'm not going to say what those are because it depends on the person. But for some people, it's hard. And I want to say that in omission sin, it's very easy to do is when we call people to help out with different organizations and you're like, well, I'd rather just hang out with my friends instead. You know what to do is right, but you don't do it. It's a sin. I'm not trying to shame people, but I'm trying to be like James and warn you. Not that like food is going to rot or anything like that. But I'm trying to wake you up to what you're doing. And whether you decide to keep doing it or not, that's up to you. That's all I'm trying to do right now. What I'm also trying to do is just because you go out and feed the homeless, I'm not saying that's not important. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please, please, please do not take that that way. But just because you go out, you feed the homeless, you help the sick, but you never share the gospel with anyone. I'm sorry, but that sounds like the biggest tragedy I have ever heard the idea that a bunch of people that have been forgiven for their sins doesn't tell them doesn't tell a bunch of hungry people a bunch of sick people why they're doing it this is a tragedy Romans 10:14 says that how can people hear if you don't speak how can people know if you do not preach? A pastor once told me that we could go out, we could feed every single homeless person, we could feed every hungry mouth in the entire world, but if we don't share the gospel with them, we're just sending a bunch of people to hell fat. I'm not trying to be a jerk. Really not. But I need y'all to know that it hurts God, God's feelings. When we go out and we put these issues that is important to God, but we're not telling them where we get it from. And like I said, there are moments where God's just like, don't throw your pearls before them. Give them food and go. But there are also times where God tells you, hey, tell them why. Tell them about me. So 
if you're willing to give up certain things, if you're willing, whatever it may be, if you're willing to be humble, you're going to allow God to work on you and in you. I guarantee you, you'll have a deeper relationship with Jesus, and you'll have a deeper relationship with others. If you are, then I encourage you to pray with someone. Pray with someone. It could be me. It could be some, one of the pastors. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. In the last section of this chapter is talking about and gives you a huge list um, of things that you can pray for, pray about. In verses 15 and 16, it talks about how if someone has sinned, to confess it so that it may be forgiven. What that means, that it is a lot easier to say no to something when you have someone with you helping you. And a really simple example. I remember a friend of mine, me and him uh, went to City Market. And this friend looked at me and said, Jordan, make sure you only get this, this, and this. Because I want to get other things, and I don't need them. And I just want to make sure that I only get what I need. <laughs> so I did. There were moments where he was like, oh, I think I need this. I said, no, you don't. He said, you're right. Yeah, 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 you're right. And then there were moments where he's like, oh, I think I need this. I was like, no, you don't. He's like, okay. And then he like steps, but he, then he steps back to grab it. But then I'm like, no. And he's like, okay, okay, yeah, and you're right. Like I said, this is a very simple version of what is going on here. But James is calling us to confess to one another, not because it is a requirement to be forgiven, but because it makes it easier not to fall back into whatever we were doing when you've got others praying with you, not for you, because it's your request your needs but they're praying with you this is probably the most convicting verse I've ever or m most convicting sermon I could have ever um, written or moments literally I told Adam yesterday it's Wednesday I made up with him every Tuesday I told him yesterday I was like honestly I'm pretty scared to share this um, I'm a massive people pleaser right now I actually feel some fear about sharing this, continuing to share this. But I don't want y'all to think. I want y'all to walk away thinking that you have to be perfect. I want you to think that. I don't think that's something that God expects of you. I don't. That's not something I expect of you. It's not something that we as a staff team expect of you. We don't expect you to be perfect. But, I, but something that I do think that God expects you, expects of you, to be consistent. What does that mean? It means that this life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. It talks about it a ton in the Bible, different times. Paul uses that example a lot. Run the race. It means he expects us to ask for forgiveness when we sin. Not if, but when. Not because he wants to shame us. Not because he wants us to remind us of how bad we are, but because he wants us to genuinely live a life that is pure, that is holy, 
that is pleasing to him and to others. When every single one of you to know, God genuinely wants what's best for you. That's why he's coming back. To bring the people that love him, that care about him, and give them the best life that he wants you to have. Not what we want to have, not the best life we want to have, but the best life that he wants us to have for him. For us. So I want to say, if you can't seem to shake whatever sin for whatever reason, just know God is quick to forgive. Once you've asked forgiveness, He separates those sins literally as far as the East is from the West. He doesn't want you to live in an anxiety of trying to be perfect. He wants you to rest in his perfect life that he lived and resurrection that he's done for you. The gospel is not what we do, but what is done for us. Because we love God, I believe once you start loving God, then obedience will follow. But I believe that these are some ways that we need to be obedient in. So, I'm going to pray. Um, thank you so much. I hope a ton of people didn't leave in the middle of it. Um, I hope that y'all got something out of this. Um, thank you so much for showing up. And, uh, I hope you all have a great rest of your weekend. I hope you all have a great week. Um, I hope you all feel encouraged. And I hope that you all are able to find some way to be connected during these weird times, whether it be virtual or in person. Um, just make sure you do it safely and that you respect the uh, authorities above us um, and the rules that, for whatever reason, they came out with them. Um, I pray that y'all stay safe and healthy. Um, let me pray. Father God, um, thank you so much for, uh, this church, God. I love them so, 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 so much. Um, sometimes I don't really even understand how much I really love them. Sometimes I don't even know where it comes from. God, I love them so much. Every single person that I see, I love them, man. So God, I ask that you bless them, that you give them a heart of, rep of repentance. You give them not a, a manipulative heart of obedience, but just a heart of repentant love for you, God. I pray that we go out, that we love one another, that we love each other, that we love ourselves. The word says to love others as you love yourself. So God, I pray that we love ourselves and we love others. God, I ask that you be with us, lead us. I pray that we are in a constant state of prayer, 
and that I pray that we are in a constant state of trying our best to follow you. I pray that we are consistent, that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, blessings, friends. Thank you so much. Um, have a great rest of your week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. 